Hello and welcome to Give Yourself the Chat. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to discussing ideas and philosophies to help you live a life of high performance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Give Yourself the Chat. I've got ex-professional footballer Drew Broughton here with me today. Uh, Footballer, coach, speaker, leader, author, podcast host, and currently joining me from Bruges, very sunny Bruce there. Drew, how are you, mate? Nice to see you. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, I'm really well. I don't know what I'll be like in a few hours, but right now I'm really well. You never know what the day brings. I think I'm really well because, you know, I've, I've had a, I have a strict routine every morning. I'm not perfect with it, but probably four days a week I get myself up at, at, uh, before 6am and, and I spend an hour in meditation and prayer, gratitude lists, uh, reading some spiritual texts and, and just trying to center myself before the carnage begins. So uh, at the moment I'm well. <laughs> well, fantastic. I and mean, it's beautiful weather there. And I see the carnage begins. You have a, you've got a young, young kid, haven't you? A toddler in the house? I've got, yeah, I've got a daughter who's eight and a half. And so that's TikTok crazy. She's teaching uh, me how to do that. And, and then, yeah, my little boy's 18 months. So he's fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. Manager. But you do have to steal this time for yourself. And it's interesting. I and mean, we will date stamp this podcast. So we're still in sort of pandemic. And I know you're probably going to have to go into quarantine when you fly back to UK yeah. from your work over there in Bruges. Mm. But during this time, I, I've rediscovered journaling in the morning and, and time for myself. So, you know, getting up at five, 5.30 or so going for a run, not in a, hey, look at me, I'm great. It's, it's the only time I can get time for me before the madness of the day. I couldn't um, agree more. I couldn't agree more. Sometimes I think, and my wife said, did you have to get up that early? Can you do that? Well, yeah, because look, you, I want to help with breakfast and I, then I've got my work and yeah, I don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> Many mornings you want to snooze. I'm, I know November's coming and I know the clocks are going, so that, that scares the life out of me. It's all right in the summer. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> but talking about, I went, I went for a run the other day and, and it's head torch time now and I was running through this oh. wood and it was like something from the Blair Witch Project. Oh. The hell out of me, you know, but but when you get back and you, you sit down with your journal, your gratitude, your meditation, you've won the day by nine o'clock. And they're actually, I've never regretted, I, I sometimes regret getting out of bed and it feels really hard, but I've never regretted going for a run or doing those things. There, there yeah. is something really enriching for the soul about it. It's, uh, yeah, and, and you'll know from your background in the military, Peter, but discipline is... Discipline is everything, isn't it? Hard to find. It's easier when, you, when you're working. I guess when you were in the military, you're forced into discipline. And as a footballer, it's almost, you're kind of, not all of it, because you still have to find your own, but you're forced into that routine. But finding it outside of that is, is difficult. You know, it's difficult. It, it is. And I think perhaps we'll unpack some of that a little bit on this episode, Drew, if we may. Gosh, you, you had, you know, 22 clubs over a 17-year period. And, you know, we're not going to list all those clubs now. But no. how would you have described you, your career? Because there's a, a clip I've just sort of looked up. It's sort of you, by your own admission, your career was dogged and undermined by soul-searching and, and self-doubt. And that, that paints quite a quite a glum picture, but I guess there would have been tremendous highs as well as those lows that, that you would have experienced. Yeah, I, th- I think firstly, I look back today and think what a footballer I was, what a good player, you know, what a top player I was. And I can own that today. And that's lovely. I touched it many times. You know, someone said to me post-career that, have you ever reframed? Because you're very much, my God, I had 22 clubs in 17 years. That is horrendous. Like, he said, but 22 people have put a contract on the table have made the owner back the contract and chanced on can they get that bit out of you that they've seen I said yeah surely by year eight they thought or, or club eight they thought this, this guy can't you know but but no it was dogged by searching searching and searching I said the other day you know I think between eight and 18 
I took up football at the age of eight, like most kids, you know, you're playing at school and then all that stuff. And then between eight and 18, I averaged 25 to 30 goals a season every year. Wow. Um, so when I left school at 16 and joined Norwich City, I'd scored 30 goals in the first season. They'd sold Chris Sutton for five million two, three years before. You're the next Chris Sutton. You'll be the yeah. next one. And yeah. I, came through with, I came through with Craig Bellamy. We were the front two all the way through from 10 to 18. I made my debut at Palace, then Wolves, scored at Wolves, was in the England under-20s with Lampard and Ferdinand and all these guys. Adidas gave me a three-year deal, which was really quite lucrative at the time. Yeah. So you're looking back, and that was all by 18. At 16, Norwich wanted me on the bench in the Premier League against Everton when I was doing my GCSEs because I'd scored three in a game. Oh, that, yeah, the first team manager happened to see this game and they're like, without a couple of injuries, and they're like, this guy, get, just, just put him in. Yeah. The head of youth went, he's not ready. And, and he was right. But so, you know, you look back and you think, they can't be wrong. Your CV says 25 to 30 goals for 10 years. Adidas, England, first team, experienced football people going, he's got it. So... Mm. Then between 18 and 33, 15 years, averaged eight goals a season. Ah. Now, many, I wouldn't call them wise people, but many, many people did say to me, okay, do extra finishing work, practice, technique. It must be technique. It must be this. It must be analysis. It might be psychology. It must be. So I tried everything. I mean, I, mm. I'm naturally hugely, hugely driven. Mm. That brings its own pressures because nothing's yes. ever enough driving yeah. all the time. But what that does is make you search. And I searched everywhere. What it was, I was searching for that player. That player, where is that player that, mm. not effortlessly, because it it's effortlessly with effort, if you see what I mean. Of course, you have to put in every bit of effort and sweat. But then, then there's a trust that happens, the, the zone, or there's a trust that all of a sudden you, you finish the game, you're sitting there, you've got two goals, the press wants to talk to you, and you're like, I don't really know what I've just done. I'm, okay, wow, what a performance. And okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so searching, Peter, that's a painful search. Yeah. And it's interesting, you, you talk about up until a certain point, you were banging them in and then in having all these kind of people lying, queuing up at your door. And yet you hadn't changed physically. In fact, you probably were getting fitter and getting into that, that sort of peak state in your prime. And yet something was, was different. And I, I wonder if it's the, that searching beyond yourself was actually part of the problem because it was always there. Because you talk about reframe. And I, I'm just wondering about if you could have reframed more at that point as to, well, nothing's physically changed necessarily. So what has, were you looking a little bit too far beyond yourself in, in retrospect with you, all your kind of coaching experience now? Interesting. Was I looking too far? Yes. What I've found, and look, the only people that I, I work with eight footballers, I work at three businesses. That is my client set at the moment. Every single one of them is, is like me. In terms of two things, incredibly driven, the alpha male, the lead, natural leadership. If there's a cone to run to, they'll get to the cone and touch it. Even if the other 10 players are half going to the cone, there's yeah. a level of accountability inside them, which is so high. Then there's a sensitivity, a real sensitivity, a, a real, you know, I sit with my daughter, I cry at every movie. I mean, she looks at me, I'm sobbing at Lion King, I cry. And I own that, I'm, I'm a sensitive guy, emotional that's a difficult mix to manage. It's a yes. very difficult mix to manage. Cause, so I don't think I had an option. You know, I, I'm trying to work out how to manage this beast inside. This, I, I always knew where I could go. I knew at eight I was going to be a professional footballer. There was no doubt. I didn't know how to get there. That would yeah. come. But I knew. I knew I'd play for England in the Premier League. That was the next stage after 18, which I, couldn't, I then couldn't unlock because fear 
football is very different from any other industry. And I, I work in business now and I find it a lot easier than football. Sometimes the business owners, when their egos up a little bit, will challenge me when we're having dinner. Go, no, because when I built this and I carry, you know, I carry all these staffs, hopes and dreams. I understand that. But yeah. No one knows. No one gives a shit. Like, yeah. with the greatest respects, yeah. we, we play in a goldfish bowl. Yeah. And I spoke to a player the other day. He's, he's in Turkey at the moment. He said, I just love being out here. He said, to be away from the Premier League. He said, I just... He said, you know, the worst thing is your family. He said, my family... After a game, my family knew every single mistake I'd made. They'd heard commentary. They'd looked online, read the press, read the Twitter, read the... He said, it's just, you can't get away from it. And then, of course, what do people do who love you? They're, they're scared. So they then try and control and fix. Mm. So you're mm. just in this. You just, you just, it's fear. You walk into fear. The shift between 18, I always had, had my own pressure. I always put huge pressure on myself. I can manage it today. What happens in football is the minute you turn professional, there's a shift. Mm. So when you're 80, there's a shift because you're now, it's on the line. Right. The, co the coach is not the under-18s coach who's developing players. That coach is going to be sacked in five games time and he's got three kids. Yeah. yeah. And he might never get another job. So it's, it's, that it's energy is in the dressing yeah. room. It's in the training ground. It's everywhere, you know. So is there a sense up until a certain age, there's almost, there's an acceptance that there is room to grow and we can't expect too much of them now. But then you pass this threshold as a professional and it's like, well, there's no excuses now. And there's, there's plenty of people behind you queuing up to take your shirt type of thing. Is there, is there a sense of that? It's funny because my brother, my older brother, very good at what he does. He's been academy director at Luton Town for eight years, Norwich City for nine years. He's now in Norway, a big club out there. So his, his remit for 25 years is to head the department that develops talent. And we talk about it, but he, he's very good at setting up the whole system and making sure it functions beautifully and everyone's in the right place. But then he'll say to me, you know, what, what do you think about it? I said, it's fear. Fear governs. And even the under-12 manager, deep down, wants to be under-13s manager. The 13, they all want to be first-team manager. All of those academy coaches, if they, if they were honest, they'll want to be the first-team manager. So even though they're developing, there is that. And, and I just don't think there's not the – I've gone off on a tangent. I'm, I'm just trying to remember no, the original thing then. was about so – well, the original thing was about searching. I didn't have a choice. I was searching. and. You know, I spoke to a player the other day, 28, seasoned international for his country. He's not English. He asked me, you know, can we do some stuff? I'm like, look, you're all right. You're a multimillionaire. You play for your country. You're in the Premier League. You don't need me. I'll have a coffee with you. You don't, you don't need this. He's like, I do. There's 15, 20% left. So I said, really? He said, honestly, mate, I, I don't think, and I've said this to a few senior players, they all say the same. They think most Premier League players are at 60% of their best max every week. Max. Yeah. And actually, if I'm honest with you, the more I speak to players, I think it's true. I think it's true. Players are all the fear of making a mistake. It was interesting, Paul Pogba at United. It's in the Mourinho thing on Netflix when the Tottenham thing that's broken at the moment, there's a game against United and Mourinho says at half-time to the players, if Paul Pogba comes on, I'm telling you now, he will try the spectacular. He'll take a risk. You've got to be on your toes. That's why Paul Pogba's 90 million quid. And, yeah. and it's hard to walk in those shoes that he, he walks in because the judgment is off the scale mm. and everyone's on him. But he, he's got the one thing. He'll take a risk. He's got the courage to go, this is me. I'm great at hitting that ball. By the way, if it gets cut out, I'm in the shit, but I'm still going to hit it anyway. And, yeah. and that's, that's why these players separate themselves. But 
even him, you can see it. Wayne Rooney towards the end, it just, it's hard continuing to, so I just think fear governs, which is, I guess, why I call myself the fear coach. It's well, you do, yeah. Name. And did I see something, is it fuck fear, wasn't it? I saw something. It's, it's a guy, yeah, it's a guy who's helping with branding. He's a modern young guy in that tech space. He's like, trust me, Drew. He said, shock value makes people go boom. He said, yeah. I, I said, I don't really want to swear. He said, well, just put some stars there. He said, but it makes people go, well, it's, 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 it's yeah. aggressive. I, I am aggressive. I mean, to, to beat fear, when you're sitting in that dressing room or, you know, yourself, but to beat fear, you, you can't go with a bow and arrow. <laughs> well, no, no, you can't. And, and I guess it sounds like the function of, that you, I do with the executives, you do with execs and you do with footballers is, is that sort of pattern interrupt to break fear or to step into courage more. Because you talk, you use the two words there, courage using the Paul Pogba experience and the fear piece there. And the line between the two being in one or stepping into the other. And, mm. you know, the footballer might have 30% to give and you're saying, well, what can I do? But, is it a sense of, you know, and I sense this with the execs I work with, mm. leaders of organizations, they've got nobody to share this concern with. They can't, yes. they can't share it with their team because they don't want to scare their team. Mm. They can't share it with the board. Who do they turn to? So quite often it's just knowing they've got somebody to turn to, to talk about these deep-seated fears and things, just even just to talk out loud about it. I mean, I wonder how much of, of that you witness is that actually they can coach themselves. They just need the listening ear. One of the guys I coach in his business is in his 40s. And he said to me the other day, he goes, you know, do you know what I've loved about having you here? He said, I've gone through a lot of coaches. He said, you've never advised me. You've never given me advice. I said, well, I, I just think advice can be quite sick. I said, if, if someone's not super emotionally aware and after hitting rock bottom 10 years ago and being bankrupt, homeless and divorced and my career finished, there come a, came a point where I had to look in the mirror and really become so self-aware and, you know, I'll never advise you because unless you're not, I could be projecting a load of stuff onto you unless I'm super aware. Yeah. All I'm going to do is, is ask you questions. You, you have the answers. Mm. Tell me how you started the business. Well, I was the best salesman in, in the city 22 years ago. Okay, well, that's pretty good. You must have been pretty good. Did you have loads of training? No. I said, well, that's called talent. I said, then you start a business because you think, why am, I, why am I doing it for someone else? I can grow my own business. You set a couple of directors who were friends, similar-minded people. And here you are 20 years on, and you've forgotten that part because things build and now you've got pressure and and he, and he laughed he, he said there's this thing in the city non-exec director i said well, what is that i love i'm a five-year-old like what, what is a non-exec director he said well it's someone typically who sold his company or, or, or been successful in a certain area they'll come in and i said they're, they're impressive guys i said he said what do you think about that i said for me all i want around me is someone who is super emotionally aware of themselves because there's many people i know many footballers now who've retired mates of mine Got no chance in the coaching world, zero chance. Multi-millionaires, 300 Premier League games, 400, no chance coaching because they just got through it. Sometimes they used alcohol, sometimes they used, you know, whatever they used to get through it, they got through it and they stayed there. Yeah. Now you've got to explain how you do it. They've got no chance. They don't, they don't know. And yeah. so I said, that's all I'll share on that. You do what you want with that. I said, you know, that's yeah. my, you know, I, I want to be around people who know, who know, You've got the answers. You just need to clear the noise. Yeah, we clear the noise, but also <laughs> challenge them and just, or just play some of the bullshit back to them. It's like, yeah, yes, I just, yeah. I just <laughs> yeah, yeah. describe myself like that. There's, there's a wonderful book you may have come across it called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. And he talks about, we've all got an advice monster. 
our advice monster runs rampant sometimes and we're busy trying to fix people, whatever. And he says, you know, you've got to check yourself. Your advice isn't as good as you think it is. And, and you're absolutely right. So you've got a playing career and everything else like this. But who's to say that what did or didn't work for Drew is going to work for X, Y, or Z? It's- one, one thing I do know, and I'll take this to the grave, there is one thing that works above all else. And I said it to, I said, said to you, I was speaking to James Kerr wrote Legacy. And, I, and I, I was fascinated. He'd been with the All Blacks for three years. Now I read Legacy and I said to him, but there's a spiritual sense. I have a huge spiritual life. It's the bedrock of everything I do. You know, from going and being on my knees nine years ago and having, by oh, the grace of God, the abundance I have today in all areas of my life, remarried, new kids, beautiful house, everything I have today. That came from one thing. It came in 2011 when I surrendered. I surrendered. I gave up, I, I, which for people in high performance is, is terrifying. What do you, I don't give up. I never give up. Winston yeah. Churchill, never, never, never surrender. I said, no, no, you're, missing, you're missing the point. It's deeper than that. I surrendered to my powerlessness. I have yeah. no power over anything, zero, mm. nothing, other than the ability to get up every morning, brush my teeth, put my shoes on and walk out the door. And if I'm asked a question, answer it and follow my truth. And you go through that whole process that I went through 11 years ago. And of course, I went through the 12 steps in, in anyone who knows the fellowships of addiction yes. or AA or very, yeah. very, for me, the most powerful, powerful process I've ever seen in my life. And the literature says so, you know, doctors way back in the thirties and forties were blown away by this phenomenon of the recovered alcoholic. But obviously now there's fellowships for the cocaine anonymous, shopping anonymous, sex anonymous, Tiger Woods, there's all of these things. Mm. So that whole process led me on then. So I'd never gone to church, wasn't brought up in that world. There was an ego there. There was a fear there. Oh, that's, that's all the religious people who are weak. But, you know, I, I went and investigated that. I lasted about a year. The vicar was a good, you know, a good guy. He's an Arsenal fan and we talked to my local church. And, but there came a point where I went, I love the idea of this. But, you know, for me, it's, it's greater. It's something even more. So then I looked at Buddhism and did a year there. I did a silent treat with monks for 48 hours, which was, I'd recommend it to anybody. Powerful process. Because, hey, if you want to sit with yourself, go and be silent for 48 hours. You know, yeah, yeah. tough. So, so you start to look at all this stuff. And then I came out of it. I'm not affiliated to any, any particular sect or religion, but I absolutely, I look at mountain ranges. I look at the ocean. I look at nature. I just think there is something so powerful at play. Mm. And then I also... I look at the best in the world. I look at Lionel Messi. He asked for thanks before the game in the chapel under, under the stadium at Barcelona. He's always in there before the game asking for help. Yeah. After the game, he says, thank you. Usain Bolt asked for help, says thank you. Mm. I'm going to look at the best and say, what are they doing? Kobe Bryant. You know, all of these guys, Phil Jackson from the Lakers and the Bulls, the most successful NBA coach in history. Yeah. You know, there's something they're doing. And I think people are scared to talk about spiritual because... And, and probably I was this before because I, I thought spirituality and religion were the same thing. And I've realized now they're completely not. A sense of ease, a sense of serenity, a sense of powerlessness. It's a beautiful thing. And, and I was completely identified with my ego and drive and I need to get there. And, and I look at the days. There's a short film we made for nine minutes when I released my book. And actually, I've cut a couple of clips up. and I'm going to post them in the next few days. It's timing on it. But we, we went and revisited a scene that I was 28 years of age. The season before had been another one of those bit of a non-events club had got relegated from the Football League. All the players weren't wanted by anybody. But somehow in that six months when the club was on their knees and we were losing games and every, point, every game was a six-pointer, 
I managed through self-will and drive and this thing inside me to keep going and score a few goals. And I happened to score three goals home and away against Macclesfield Town in League yeah. Two. The manager at the time was Paul Ince, his first job. Paul Ince then gets yeah, the MK. Yeah, Paul Ince gets the MK Don's job. It's a step up. And I get a call two weeks before the season. I was training by myself, riddled with demons. When's the club coming? When's the contract coming? And then I get a call saying, you know, we're interested, come and, and Paul Ince said, look, I, I watched you last year play for a terrible crap team on their knees, the work you weren't getting paid, the club was in administration and you buried us home and away single-handedly. So there's something there. He said, look, I just want to see you in a couple of games and, and we'll sit and talk. I said, no problem. Two games, bearing in mind I'm a League Two player, I never saw myself like that. The two games were against Chelsea and West Ham. Yeah, thanks. What a trial. Can you give me some of my level? Yeah. So played against Chelsea for 45 minutes, played well. The West Ham game was three days later. And I knew, I'm not stupid, even though it's like we want you, they're basically saying, I need to see. I'm yeah. not sure. And you know what, Peter, I, I had 90 minutes and I knew that. It was West Ham's full 1-11, to 11, full of internationals, Stadium MK, 15,000, 20,000 people there. 45 minutes, I was terrible. Gave away every ball. It was my fault. We were 1-0 down. It was my man from the corner, Upson, who was a good mate of mine at the time as well. He, he ran off me and I got blocked and he scored. Everyone looks at you in the, in the box. Whose man is that? It's his. So I'm sitting there at half time and Ince comes in, volleys all the water bottles everywhere and you know, you lot. And then turns to me, he said, you've not won a header. You've not kept the ball. What have you done? He said, you've got 10 minutes and you're done. And then he goes on to someone else. And I'm, I remember just, you feel drunk, like the fear, because oh, I, I'm, you feel yeah. drunk because your head's spinning. Your family's in a stand. One week's time, the season starts and I don't have a contract. I've just had my last pay and pack. Got 10 minutes. Got about <laughs> six days, 10 minutes. And I remember just stumbling. We videoed this and I stumbled to the toilet cubicle, opened the door in my kit, sat on the toilet seat, head in the hands and all the voices were rampant. You're finished, you're done. You're mm. a joker. You're, you're, a, you're not good enough. And then this, this, I don't call it a voice, this feeling deep down when what are you, it was really empathetic and it went, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? Coming here, trying to fit in with this nice stadium, big Milton Keynes and white kit and West Ham and playing little passes and fitting in. That's not who you are. He saw you last year when you weren't getting paid, when you were in a dogfight and you were claw and scrap and clash heads and do whatever it took to win. Mm. Get up and go and do that. And I remember just getting up. I wouldn't say I burst out the door. I got up and... That's true. Put some water on my face. Said to one of the players, stop playing little balls into my feet. I'm getting killed in there. That's not my skill. Hang it up. Let me go and bully the two centre-halves. Let me put an elbow across someone. Let me see if they actually want to fight. He did it. First header, bang, straight across Colin's face. He went down. It starts off a riot. Ince has wolf whistled me. And game on. And we won the game 3-2. Made one, scored one, get a two-year contract. And, you know, I remember sitting at home. The tragedy is I didn't know what I'd done. Mm. Didn't know what I'd done, so I couldn't recreate. I, I knew I'd let go, but I didn't know what I didn't know about. Talk about spirituality. I somehow, something, somewhere whispered to me, have courage, be you, be you. And, and that's all I know. I don't dig much deeper than that. So actually, the, the stuff I do with guys is try to take them to that place. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. this saying? What, what's yeah. going on? What, oh, I'm not good enough. We're going to lose the company with six accounts. Okay. Now tell me about you. What do you do? What are you great at? It's fascinating, Drew, because uh, over the course of the episodes on, on this podcast, I think this will be like episode 22 or 23, mm. gratitude comes up time and time again. And a form of mindfulness or spirituality, call it what you will. And yet 
if we could just harness the result of that introspection and that going out there to come back to self, if we could tap into that, wouldn't it be great? But we seem to have to go, as a human condition, we have to go through that hardship. We have to be at that crucible event when you've got 10 minutes to go and everything is on the line to wake up to self. You know, if you and I could, could kind of find a way of just sort of bottling, you don't need to go through that. But then again, it is the process of going through that that actually strengthens you and we become better for it. But it, it's, it's ironic that we have to reach the lowest low before we can actually then ascend. Well, well it's really interesting. And I think you're right. I saw a post the other day by Kevin Davis, the ex-Bolton centre forward. Now he's an agent and a very successful career played for England. And he did a post, it's really powerful on LinkedIn, saying, I've just been told about one of my young players that he's, he's too nice, too soft. And yet he's driven and he's hungry. And he said, I'm really interested by everyone out there. What are your thoughts? And I, and I reposted, that was me. It was told me many times, too nice. I went to private school, intelligent guy, and too nice, you know, too, because I spoke well and, and didn't want to hurt anybody. And, you know, yeah. I, but then five years later, exiting internationals would be saying to me, I'm signing you because you're a nasty bastard. Okay. Well, I didn't know really, not really I, a nice guy. I, you know, but what they're actually saying, not saying, but saying is that you just don't go under. I've seen you play. You're relentless. You, yeah. That's what they're really saying. They, yes. they don't know. You know and, and I didn't know. You're, you're fathoming. So my point is, and I had a young player I was working with at Liverpool when, when Jurgen Klopp first came in and he was out of the team. And I said, he, you know, he wanted to impress and he was right on the cusp of it. And I said, look, go and speak to Klopp. See, see what his views are. Find out. Can you still do that? Or at that level now, is it all you have to go through three yeah. PAs? And he said, no, no, I can still knock on the manager's door, proverbially. Okay, so he, yeah. he knocked on the manager's door. And Klopp said to him, you haven't had enough pain in your life. Mm. And looked at him, he said, the best players, head with pain, tackle with pain, run with pain, fight with pain, make love with pain. And, and he went, he went yeah, you know, as Klopp, you can imagine, does. Mm. And he came in his car and he rang me straight away in the car. I said, what did he say? He said, you haven't enough pain. I said, he's right. I said, now here it is because I had this, you haven't enough pain. And I said, do you need to have come from the slums of Buenos Aires? Do you need to be raped as a child? No. Do you need to be molested? No. Do you need to be from divorced parents? No. I said, but at some point in your journey from 10 to now you're 18, you've been let down by the coaches. Mm. You, were, you were half allowed to go, to, you were allowed to half go to, to the cone. You were mm. allowed to pass the ball at 80% speed. You were allowed to I said, now you've got a manager who will revolutionise this football club because I've been watching him at Dortmund. I said, what's he like? He said, he's just relentless. He said, like, if, he said he's, a, he's good, he's a nice guy. He said, but if, if it drops by a second in training, I didn't care if you played 100 games for Argentina, stop, go again. Get, mm. get to that cone like it's going to blow up, go. And, and he mm. said, all of a sudden we are just boom, 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 everyone. And he said, and I, I said, well, you've been let down. No one's shown you. The, the way they've shown you technically and tactically and they haven't shown you how brutal this career is and this life is and you never have a day off and all that stuff so I think it can be done I look at my children I look at the young guys I work with my main objective is how quickly can I drag them to pain their pain yeah their pain inside them how much do you want to make it Okay. And, and I totally agree with this because, mm. you know, it, and, and we shouldn't mistake this with, we're not creating cultures of brutality and everything no, else like this. That's the problem. People think that it's not. They, they do. Yeah, no, they, they think that. And that, that's old school. And yes, it is. It's got to be. No, it's not. And, and the parallel for me in my sort of military career and my sort of Ironman sort of pursuits is that you've got to learn what it's like to suffer. Because mm. when you mm. understand how much you can suffer, you begin to tap into that 
30 or 40% that a lot of these professionals are telling you, I know I can go to. Mm. But if you've never been there, you'll never be able to access it or you'll never be able to step into courage from fear because your fear threshold or is too low. Your suffering threshold is too low. So you have to learn how to suffer or you have to learn how to you know, do all these things that you're talking about. And you're so right, Peter. Thank you. And then you takes me back to the original thing, the depiction of Christ on the cross. Now, whether, whether a guy called Jesus lived, didn't live, whatever, there's, a, there's an image of suffering. Mm. The Buddha said life is suffering. So yes. all the signposts are going the same way. Yeah. I think people ignore them because of, I, didn't, I don't believe this guy did this and then was resurrected. Believe whatever you want, but yeah. I'm not going to depict this image, which is the image of humanity. There's something going on. So suffering, life is suffering. And, and yeah. I think that's really important. And, and I'm sure with, with my children, I, I want to, to take them there, the suffering. You know, I, I can't do the monkey bars, daddy. There was a, when, when she was three, my daughter in the park and she two, and I used to support her along the monkey bars, you know, as a lot of dads do. And, and then I'd let her go, I can do it because she has self-will. And, and then she falls and stacks it into the wood chips. And I, I, it wasn't that, that. But I did this three or four times. And then this lady in a pushchair came across the phone. This is disgusting. And four or five other mothers with their coffees. I said, what's disgusting? Said, You're letting your daughter fall. Look, she's crying. I said, and she looked at me. I said, any blood, honey? And she went, no blood, daddy. I said, just pain then. Let's go again. And, yeah. you know, now, don't get me wrong. I would question myself. I'd be like, is this a bit extreme? But no, <laughs> no, no. I'm, not, I'm not dropping her off the top of a building. I mean, it's like wood chips and yeah, it hurts. But yeah. you know what? And I said to this woman, I said, it's pain and it's good because someday a guy's going to break her heart. Someday she's not going to be good enough at math. Someday she's not going to, I said, and she'll, she'll lick her lips and go, well, it's suffering again. Let's, let's go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, very much linked to sort of growth mindset and allowing right. allowing our kids to fail and mm. you know en encourage them to put the effort in to experience what failure is like, mm. because then that that points the way as to what to do differently next time. Of course, you know, it's interesting you talk about you know taking the young professionals to to a point of pain and suffering. In my military career, we had the adage of uh, train hard, fight easy. You know, so in training, we make it as hard as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, you finish the route march and there's the, there's the, the, the truck to take you back to barracks. And, and as you go to step on it, the driver just pulls away and say, oh, by the way, we're, we're going to march the next six miles back to barracks. And it was to test those that would just go, do you know what? Fuck it. And throw their I'm toys done. out. Of them. And then as soon as that happened, the truck was only parked around the corner and everyone got onto it. But it was like testing you. Are you prepared to go and do that six miles? Are you prepared to go to that other cone there yeah. if I tell you to? And it's the reaction. And it's so much about character and everything else like that. Is there so many? And I realize I've got that ultimate character. And I think every manager who signed me would have said the same thing. Character is ridiculous. You know, work ethic, ridiculous. You know, Ronaldo, I worked as hard as Ronaldo. No doubt about it. Anyone who played with me said, this guy's a lunatic. Like, he gets in three hours before everyone else leaves, four hours later. You yeah. know, didn't have alcohol, didn't have sugar, didn't have, you know, obsessive, narcissistic, all those things. What I didn't have that he has, take the talent aside, he has talents that I didn't have. Right. But I had my own in my area. But what he has with the gold dust, which gets missed time and time and time again on the Instagram culture of visual training, mm. what he has is courage. It's easy now at 35, he's been there and done it. But at 19, 20, 21, when he was at United, you know, trying all those fancy stepovers in the corner, and he used to get smashed by a fullback. And, you know, the fans were on him. And you can imagine, you don't know, but Roy Keane, you can imagine barking at this young, good looking Portuguese kid with white boots doing, but, but, you know, he had Ferguson there to nurture that, but also he went and got the ball again and again and again, you know, and 
that's that's the courage, isn't it? That to to go and say this is me. I'm now, and you see a lot of players who are talented, who have mu- as much flair and talent as Ronaldo. There's loads of them, right? But when they do their their skill, whatever it is, and it messes up, they're going to get hammered by the coach, players, fans. Yeah, a lot of them then and can't go. I'm not going. I'm not going to do the same thing in two minutes later. And that's the difference, I think. And and but a lot of them could do if you got inside them early enough and showed them that route because they've got the desire. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, they, no, it does. It does. And I think I'd, I'd just like to talk about your the sort of the latest project that you're you're working on now, which mm. is this helping them in that moment where they need help. Tell us about this project because I think you're, what you're doing is is fantastic. But you're harnessing modern technology and phone apps and all that kind of stuff. Give us a sense of what, what this project's all about that you're into. Well it, well, it came to me probably about 18 months ago because I'm probably, I've been at my limit of footballers for years now and then you bring the businesses in, which I do two days a week with it. It's relentless with the players, voice notes, WhatsApps. I watch their games back on a, on a technological Y-Scout and have all the games within 24 hours and, you know, voice notes. So you're on constant call. You couldn't do 15 a week, 12 a week. So it's the classic one-to-one max and use it. And and it just came to me that what do players need? What am I dealing with all day? You're dealing with that. You're showing them the way in the moment when all the noise around them is fear-based and and Mm. you're clearing the noise. So I thought, how can I do that? Well, and it just came to me. If I can, I wrote down every single emotion that I remember from training ground, from matches, from coaches, hotels, then I looked at all the ones in real time as players are talking to me, I'd scribble them down and I've got a two, 300 and it's like, okay, let me then create a video for each one. Let me then try and find someone famous or a top player talking about the same thing. And then let me, so imagining kid in America, wherever can open that phone out and go, what would Drew say there? What, what does bang, you know, because I've just been told X, Y, and I've just been told whatever you do today, I don't want you doing that. Make sure you do this. Yet my instinct is going, I disagree with all of that. I want you to follow your instinct, you know? So if they can have an ability to pick up the smartphone, even under their towel in the dressing room and just quickly, because you can do all that in the dressing room, you know, you can nick off to the toilet and quickly have a look. And so, yeah, yeah, if I can have that, and then obviously inside there, we're going to do all all loads of stuff daily with me and some workshops and various bits and bobs, but that's really the heartbeat of it. You know, if, if guys can have that real time access to, if they trust what I say to cut through all the noise and go, I'm going that way. I'm going to go yeah. that way because that, yeah. that fe- because that feels right to me. Not that Drew's telling me that. It's like what he says echoes what my inner soul is saying or my voice is saying inside. I'm going yeah. to go that way. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like this is normal. This, I, I'm not alone in this. Even if it's a sense of, do you know what? I'm not – yeah, the other people have worried about this before. That in itself is a massive relief, right? I can kind of park that now. And, and if it does that, that would be great. You talked about the 12-step process with addiction yeah, previously. The 12th step, of my understanding, is that not sort of paying it forward and helping somebody else on – Absolutely. So step 12 is to, to give back. I've sponsored – eight, nine guys over the years. And, and it's always a difficult one because, you know, I battle with this. You're paying it forward and you're giving back. Now take what you have and give back. But then also, you know, there's a lot of value in what I do. And actually you read into the, into the deeper literature and in no way is there don't monetize from this situation. Because I'm not, I'm not doing addiction recovery. There's no way I'm doing that with anybody. Not, not in the world I work in. Not, you know, I do that separately. I still go to meetings, 12-step meetings and I still sponsor one guy and that's a different conversation. But, but yeah, this is, this is using all my, and I, I feel it was my calling to go through those 17 years to learn every single scenario in football 
to be so sensitive that I absorb everything. I didn't just get to the end of my career and go, oh, yeah, I'm here now. I had a good career. I've had mm. all these games, which you get a lot of ex-players. It doesn't matter that I played all those games. It doesn't matter that I was a footballer. What matters is that I can still remember how it all feels. Mm. Um, my client, client this morning, just getting ready to go to the game, I, I was up and I just said to him about, fear us you know it's important it's nine years ten years since i was in a dressing room and yes i can remember i can close my eyes and remember how it feels 10 minutes into the game 20 minutes i can remember but actually spending half an hour in silence this morning i can really remember and then we were just talking this morning about you can get to bed till three o'clock you know it's weird that fear's on you all week been good but the fear's on me of course it is because you want to get to the top i said there should be a bucket load of that stuff at your door going you're not going to get there that's Mm -hmm. You know, and, and how do you get through that? You have to accept it. You have to embrace the fact that it'll always be the same. Now, what can you do? Don't isolate yourself. Don't stick Eminem in your headphones, angry, fuck the world, I'm going to fight. Don't forget all that. Mm. Psyching yourself up, be part of the dressing room, sit with a couple of lads, talk to people, fight for something bigger than you, fight for mm. your team, the club, don't make it about you and you'll get your rewards, you know, so. And as we kind of draw to, to an end, how is all this helping you, Drew, and your ongoing recovery if you like or or just making sense of life or or, you know how how does this help you i think it's exactly where i need to be i I feel that this is exactly what it well i mean i remember someone very close to me during my football career when i'd had another tuesday night game that wasn't so big and i'd fallen out with the manager after the game came back home and i remember saying that we i'm done now i've fallen out with this guy and this guy and they said to me that you will be a far better coach than you ever will be a player so it hurt like hell at the time because I still thought I could get to the top of that time, 26, 27. But they were right. They were right. So I, th- I think I'm exactly where I need to be. I don't use this to fix me. Even though someone said, was the book cathartic? I said, no. I said, because I'd just done seven years of therapy and rehab. I said, I'd worked through all my shit. That yeah. was just an account of. So I certainly, I certainly am not fixing people. I'm very super aware with all the work I've done on myself. I've referred two or three guys out to therapists you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a guy sharing. What helps me is my is my work in the morning. Still, it's not who I work with. It's it's my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm totally with you on that one, Drew. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. If if people want to kind of find out more about you and the work you do, what's mm. the best way of, kind of connecting? LinkedIn, I guess, but in Instagram, I've got a guy helping me there now, and and, and I'm now in the TikTok space. And you know, it, it's it's incredible. You know, you you're around these digital thinkers and they're yeah. seeing the grind. No, TikTok is a new thing because it's 15 yeah, no, second video. You know, yeah. you start to look at so all of these spaces. I'm on all of them, and you know, I will be talking about when I finish my platform. You know, I'll be I'll be on all my channels talking about exactly what that is and extracts and all that stuff. So. Brilliant. Well, well, Drew, thank you so much for being on, on the show today. It's been amazing. Uh, I feel like we could just continue talking, exploring some of the depths. And so perhaps yeah. I, I really look forward to perhaps doing that again sometime in, in the future with you, mate. It's, yeah. uh, enjoy yourself out there in Bruges uh, yeah. and that young family of yours. And, and I, I thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your time, Peter. Thank you. One of the things I love about being a podcast show host is you get to chat and meet so many fascinating people. And, and Drew is no exception there. Uh, really enjoyed his vulnerability, his brutal honesty, and, and the courage to accept that having been tipped and destined for a great playing career as a young man, it never quite worked out for him. But equally, it's brought him to this point through all the trials and tribulations in his life to a place of service and and helping those who are currently in the sport, not only the young guys, but also those that are more seasoned professionals. 
deal with the pressures that come with being an elite level sports professional footballer. And, and also, I'm really interested to see this platform that he is developing as a way of paying it forward and being of service in that moment when the player needs it most. So I hope you enjoyed that one. And as ever, if you'd like to get in touch, then please hop on over to peterlewiscoaching.com. Suggest which guests you'd like me to feature on the podcast and equally what subjects you'd like me to explore. But in the meantime, thank you so much for being a listener and I'll see you on the next one.